0: grateful for all of you being here on this first Sunday and this new year it's good to be together as we look back and look ahead Um, you've probably seen this but my optometrist put on a Facebook post 2020 the year of the optometrist so um, (laughs) but it is good to see you and I'm glad that I can see you Uh, I'm grateful for his good work. Uh, I do want to say a couple of things before I read the scripture and preach this morning. Some of you, many of you, maybe even most of you, have heard uh, some of the news reports concerning the United Methodist Church that have been out and about this past week in print media and uh, visual media and Everything else, it's been all over the place. Let me say just a couple of things. Certainly, I don't have all the answers, and we're not going to spend a lot of time, but not today. We may later on, but the main concern I have is that the news reports have come out as if this new proposal from a group that represents different factions, for lack of a better word, of our church, uh, they're presenting that as if it is a done deal. It is not. It's a proposal that I believe will be considered at General Conference, along with many other proposals. General Conference is the only group that has the authority to speak for the entire denomination. They will meet again beginning May the 5th in Minnesota. Hopefully things will have thawed out by then in lots of ways. And we pray that... uh, The Spirit will intervene in that conference and that God's will be done. Until then, we have so much to be about in this place, in this church. We have a mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We have our vision to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about unity and love and to serve faithfully in this church and in this community and around the world that God loves so much God gave an only son we have outstanding ministries here for every age group beginning with our our least ones on up to our eldest and all of us who are somewhere in between and we've got much to see about much to do plenty for all of us to do and to support and to care about so my word at this point would be stay focused on our mission Pray for the upcoming General Conference and the delegates who will represent us there, and be careful about believing everything that is said and portrayed in the media. I don't mean to throw them all under the bus, it's not a deliberate kind of attack on the media, but this has been portrayed, and I've heard it several times, as a done deal. It's not, it's one proposal, there will be others. Continue to pray for the United Methodist Church and continue to pray about ways that you can help make this church stronger and more effective in serving this community. So I'll be glad to talk with you later. or recommend websites or other places where you can look for more information. Um, I don't mind ever mind talking about these things. They are important to me. I know they are to you as well. All right. Having said that, let's turn to our scripture lessons for the day. We have two, the Old Testament lesson for this Sunday, Epiphany Sunday, the day before Epiphany Day in reality, but this is the traditional Old Testament lesson for this day, and I think it helps us to hear it again. Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, beginning with verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice. Because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Our gospel lesson for this Epiphany Sunday The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. They set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. As far as most of our society is concerned, the Christmas season is over. People figured, well, it started on July the 5th. It's time for it to be over with. The lights and the tinsel have for the most part been put away, not everywhere, not all of the things in our house, but some of them. But for many, Christmas is only a memory. Hopefully, it's a pleasant memory. In the church year, however, Christmas begins on December the 25th and continues for 12 days. We're all familiar with the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. I won't take time to repeat it. I think it's a rather silly song. I haven't done much research, but why would you... Give somebody all that kind of stuff. I just don't know. (laughs) The idea of the 12 days of Christmas is based on the tradition that the wise men, or the Magi as they often called, came to worship the Christ child 12 days after his birth. We don't know exactly. That's what tradition tells us. In our passage that we read from Matthew just a moment ago, the wise men are said to go into a house where the young child was. There's no mention of a in or a guest room or a stable the child was already in a house and there's no mention of these other things that are part of the birth stories now as the day the magi came to offer their gifts as they came to offer their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We've come to call that special day Epiphany. An epiphany is a revealing, a revelation. It's a pulling back of the curtains to see what God has in store for us. The day of Epiphany, the last day of the Christmas season, January the 6th. So it's clear that Matthew intends chapter 2 and verse 1 to begin a new cycle of stories, not the birth stories that we associate so much with Matthew 1 and with Luke chapter 2, but literally speaking, the birth story has its own conclusion, and the visit of the wise man has its own introduction. It's a new story or a new cycle of stories that's being introduced here in Matthew chapter 2. And I know we've talked about that some, and I think it's okay if you Put the wise men in your nativity set early on. That's okay, even though they probably did not arrive at the same time as the shepherds. And it's hard to coordinate the timing of what's going on in Matthew with the shepherds' arrival and the angels in Luke. They don't all get there at the same time. I believe they all got there, but not at the same moment. Now, I cannot miss the echoes of the Moses story. And maybe you heard that, too, when we were reading back through that. The child in Egypt, in the palace of the the rich in Egypt, Jesus going to Egypt as a child so that his life might be spared, Moses becoming the deliverer of his people in his time and Jesus becoming the deliverer of his people of all people for all time. So Matthew, who often connects his writings and his story with the Old Testament with how the Jewish people would have understood their heritage, is telling us right here that Jesus is the deliverer. And when you think of Jesus, a lot of folks would think back to the time of Moses as well. Now the general culture, religious and secular, contain many stories to the effect that when a ruler was to be born, there would be a star, there would be celestial signs so that people would know that this child, this is someone special and significant. In the Old Testament, a strange seer from the East, Balaam, spoke about a star that would rise out of Jacob. In Isaiah 61 through 6, we read a moment ago, talked about folks coming, kings coming from distant lands with gifts of gold and frankincense. The myrrh was not mentioned in that story. Matthew had available several different threads with which to weave this tapestry, this amazing story that we look at today. But Matthew is not simply telling a beautiful story. I think he's making several important statements about our faith First, by use of his familiar quotation formula, so it is written by the prophet, Matthew shows that Jesus qualifies as the Davidic ruler who is to be born in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, who are little among the clans of Judah, out of you shall arise, shall come a ruler to govern the people Israel, whose origin is from old. Jesus is the one who begins to fulfill the promises made to Israel. But secondly, Jesus is not only to govern quote my people Israel but to take the good news of the gospel the story of Jesus to all the nations and all people we sometimes forget Israel was blessed so that they might be a blessing to the world we are blessed as God's people in God's church so that we might be a blessing to the world not to keep it to ourselves not to be selfish about this good news And we sometimes forget that even in the Old Testament, there are references to God's story being taken to other people. The book of Ruth, the book of Jonah, and there are other places too, even in Isaiah, where it's made very plain that the news of God is for all nations and all people. Now, in the gospel lesson, the coming of the wise men represents the coming of the nations from everywhere, from every place, to worship the Christ. Maria von Trapp, in her book, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, tells about a tradition concerning the wise men. And let me share a little bit of that with you. And this is just a tradition, so so remember that. But like most traditions, there's some truth there. She said, according to this tradition, the three wise men were residents of three different parts of the world and they were of three different races. They beheld the star over Bethlehem, and independently they began to move toward Bethlehem Yet at the same time, and each decided on his own to follow the star. And somewhere along the way, the tradition says they met up in the desert and they began to talk and they realized they were on the same mission, the same God called mission. And so they joined up and decided to travel together. And that's how they arrived in Bethlehem at the same time, brought together by the star, same mission. They were banded together on a common journey, a common mission. They made their way past the mountains of Moab and past the rebuilt city of Jericho. Finally, they entered the holy city of Jerusalem. They were interrogated by King Herod, or I like to say so-called King Herod, not really a king at all. And they left his court, and once again they followed the star until they came to rest over Bethlehem. And together they knelt before the Christ child, and they offered their gifts. Only a tradition, of course. I think it's a good tradition. I like the idea that maybe they met up in the desert on their way and they came from different places. They didn't all set out from one place. They represented different peoples, different nations, different races, but they came together and they had a common purpose to worship the Christ child and to offer gifts to this child. And then another important statement by Matthew is that these events are providentially guided. This is not just coincidence. This is not just something that happened. God's hand was involved. We're not reading here about good fortune or happy coincidences or historical accidents. This is the work of God. Jesus is the Son of God, King of the Jews. He is the Davidic ruler. And it's no surprise then that his life is not only divinely begun, but that it is announced to the world with extraordinary signs, stars, and and all the other things that happened. And that he was protected from jealous, tyrant, ego-driven King Herod. And when I read about that and think about all of that, it makes me want to read the rest of the story. It makes me want to read the rest of the story again. I've read it and most of you have too. The rest of Matthew's gospel and to ask the question, what becomes of this Jesus? But perhaps a better question or more important question for us is what becomes of us? Jesus changed us. A whole has changed all of us in some significant ways in this year just past. In what ways are we different because we followed Jesus through this year just ending? I want to consider for a moment on an individual basis and as a church, how has Jesus changed us or has he And we might need to look at this through a familiar formula. First, with our prayers. Have we grown in our prayer life this past year? Has the vital connection with the source of all life been strengthened? Do we call on God more often in all the circumstances of this life? And not just when things are very difficult. And do we fail to call on God sometimes when we say, God, I've got this, I can handle it. Just take care of somebody else. They're having a harder time right now. Through our prayers, we come to lean on God in all of our circumstances. And how about our presence? Are we showing up with God's people with a greater degree of regularity and and faithfulness? Have we come to a deeper awareness of the joy And the hope that's possible when we gather together as God's people and in God's house and when we assemble ourselves to worship, consider how far the Magi traveled to bow down and to worship the Christ child. How far have we traveled, not just geographically, but in our hearts and in our minds? How far have we traveled to better worship the light of the world? And our gifts, these were precious gifts that the wise men or someone said, The wise guys or someone even questioned their wisdom because if they were that wise, why would they have paid any attention to King Herod? But maybe that's another story for another day. But with the gifts they offered, uh, what became of those gifts? The story I like best is that Joseph and Mary were able to trade and sell those gifts and to fund the trip to Egypt, the flight to Egypt to save the life of the child. I don't know that for sure, but they were precious expensive gifts. Have we grown in our giving? Are we more generous people than we were a year ago? Are we closer to becoming extravagantly generous people? Has following Jesus stimulated us to more gratitude? And has that gratitude stimulated our desire to give of ourselves and our resources and all that we have so that God's work might become even more of a reality in this place and in this world. And service, where are those places where our servant hearts have taken us in this past year? Where have we made a difference for the better? And how often in 2019 was our focus turned outward toward a God-loved world and not inward so much on what are our needs and desires and wants and wishes? That God-loved world is a place of brokenness and hurt and darkness, and we've got so much to do. Is it a more fulfilling experience this year right now to serve because we've served well in the year past? And how about our witness? To what or whom do our lives point? Our words and our attitudes and our actions, they all point somewhere. Have they changed over the past 12 months because we've been with Jesus? I mean, close with Him, walking with Him, allowing Him to shape our lives. Are we reflecting His light? Or are we just, like so many other folks, stumbling in the darkness, complaining, acting like we're people who have no hope and no future? Are we reflecting that light? Are we channels of his grace so that it might flow through us to others around us? Or have we simply become cisterns or collection bats to receive his grace and his love and his mercy and all of his promises just so we hold on to him for our own survival? Are we channels of his grace The infant Jesus escaped the sword of Herod and grew up because and became Lord and Savior of all the world who would receive him. What will become of us, each of us? What will become of us as church as 2020 unfolds? Will our prayer life be developed in ways currently beyond our imaginations? Will our desire to show up often fill this place of fellowship with folks who are seeking the heart and the direction of God, people with renewed hearts, gifts? Will our determination to express our gratitude through all that we give of our time and ourselves and our resources have a positive impact in this community and around this world? Witness. Will the depth of our witness bear a resemblance to the depth of our character. God has been so good to us as the church in this place. If I've counted right, and if I've done my math right, I don't always do that, but for about 192 years in this community, this church. And so it is with some uncertainty, but with a whole lot of excitement And a whole lot of optimism that we celebrate that past and we contemplate that future that is in God's hands. How will that unfold in this year to come? What will become of us? What will become of us as God's church and God's people? And in a very real way, we've only just begun. Let's see where God takes us. Amen.